Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and this is the place where we get to talk to people that are building a more humane world from the inside out. And we're glad to have you here on our new time schedule, which is Mondays from five to six on KOPN. So welcome to uh, the new time slot. And I'm gonna welcome the first guest in the new time slot uh, right here from Columbia, Elizabeth Herrera Eichenberger, who's the executive director of True North right. here in Columbia. So welcome, Thank Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. I, I had a guest not too long back, who uh, a friend of mine out in Ashland, Oregon, who has been immersing himself in the homeless situation mm. of, uh, turns out to be a big problem in it Ashland, Oregon. Problem. And he's been doing that for about five years. And he finally put together the processes that he was exposed to into a little book called mm. uh, Small Town Big Problem Solutions for Homelessness. That's Phil Johncock. And so I, I said, well, I want to find out about Columbia. <laughs> Do we have, what's the homeless situation here? So I went to the web and I found uh, several different things related to homelessness. One of them was the thing called basic needs, but mm -hmm. I understand from you that uh, that sort of uh, group, group coalition doesn't exist as that, but there's still work going oh, on. Oh yeah, the city of Columbia has, has done a phenomenal job in leading efforts to address homelessness issues here in Columbia. And that is correct. The basic needs co coalition as a coalition no longer exists, but there are still several projects happening simultaneously to address this issue, which is very pervasive. It's really happening here in Colombia, and it's happening all over the world and all over the United States. Mm -hmm. um, we are not excluded from that. Mm -hmm. Do we know if the homeless folks or unhoused yes. folks in Colombia are Colombians? I mean, have they, uh, are they from Colombia and just fell on hard times. At, many of them are, you mm -hmm. know, many of them are. We do have people from other towns and other um, states. I can really speak to the issue of homelessness and women. Oh, good. Specifically mm -hmm. to women fleeing domestic abuse, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and yes, many of them um, are experiencing homelessness in our natives of Colombia. Mm -hmm. And homelessness in itself is a very complex issue and you exacerbate that with being a woman it becomes much more difficult especially women who are caring for children um, the incredible intersection of substance abuse domestic violence mental health homelessness um, it can have a really deep impact in the lives of people mm -hmm. I just was listening to Sojourner Truth here on KOPN yeah. <laughs> as I was driving in. And one of the comments she was making about homeless is that uh, women and single women with children yes. are one of the most uh, uh, highest increasing yes, that is true. Uh, number of people that yes. are unsheltered or- It is estimated, I mean, 
one in one in two women who are homeless. I've heard that range to um, one in two, one in three um, of all of the women that are experiencing homelessness are homeless as a result of domestic abuse or trying to feel, find safety. And it becomes much more complicated when you have eight children. We are in a financial crisis time. So in, we're in systems that already make it difficult for women to find stable employment, to flee abusive relationships, abusive situations. It is. It was inevitable. I mean, we're in the perfect storm for those things mm-hmm. to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had never heard of True North before looking this up on the mm-hmm. web this month. How did True North come into existence? Or is this a national organization? A it's a national movement. Movement. Movement okay. as a as a battered women's movement from the 1970s. Okay. So True North was founded in 1983, and it was the direct result of, interestingly enough, of college-age Mizzou women addressing rape and sexual violence on campus. And, you know, fresh off the second wave feminism of the 1960s and 70s, they took it upon themselves to, to take action on this victimization that was happening. Eventually, callers kept calling not just for sexual violence concerns, but also domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. And it really prompted them to organize and figure out a strategy on how to serve those women. Mm -hmm. And that's how um, the shelter came to be. So we've had three name changes throughout the years. We were the Shelter Comprehensive Human Services. And then in 2010, we became True North. Oh, okay. So in Jeff City, we have racks. You have racks. Is that an equivalent? Yes, I would say so. We have over 125 domestic and sexual violence victim services program in the state of Missouri. And we all share a coalition. So we, most of us belong to the uh, Missouri coalition against domestic and sexual violence. Mm -hmm. And then the Missouri coalition against domestic and sexual violence is part of a a national network of the national coalition against domestic and sexual violence. Many of of those coalitions are funded by the department of justice, Department of Health and Human Services, so federally funded. And yeah, and so we are we are a, a cog in a big, big wheel and movement and powerful um, activism towards women's safety. So one thing that would be pretty obvious, I'm going to say, mm-hmm. related to True North is that once women take advantage of your service, they become a real human being with a real name and a real, you know, that person. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. But they've always been a human being. I would challenge that, that, um, you know, the, the issues of domestic and sexual violence are so complex um, and complex in the sense when somebody seeks out for help because they want to leave an abusive situation, that can, there's a, a range and there is a spectrum on the services that may need. Some women, they are in the contemplation phase. I feel very unsafe, something is wrong, but I don't know what that is. And they would call our hotline. We have a 24 hour hotline operated seven days a week. And they would discuss, this is what's happening. And we can talk about the power and control wheel. We can talk about the dynamics of domestic violence. We can be a listening ear and help people process that violence. Mm -hmm. Some women have the resources to leave 
and they'll leave on their own accord, find their own apartment, but then they'll still need follow-up services in dealing with the aftermath of, of, of that traumatic experience. So women have no place to go or they're isolated from their families or they're in danger for their for their lives. And so they would come to the shelter. So True North has residential services and non-residential services. And every person is really unique in the needs uh, that in, the, in how they tap into our services. You know, they, they, this is why True North exists because they are human beings. And so we absolutely get to know them, but we also understand that they have the right to self-determination to determine, to determining what course are they going to do based on all of the information and resources available. The ball is always going to be on their court on what they want to do. Mm -hmm. Our job is to provide education, resources, support, and safety. Um, and then helping them find their voice, which I think is so missed and so important, um, especially this is true for women. Sometimes I understand uh, a woman may need to actually relocate to mm -hmm. a different It happens often. community. Yeah. Different shelter. state, different shelter. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're a network of women. And the, the beautiful thing about that is that women, women have been weaving these networks since the beginning of time, since mm -hmm. the beginning of history. And we are no different than our sisters from 2000 years ago. Mm -hmm. We're weaving these networks. We're now networks of, you know, thousands of shelters, not only across the state of Missouri, across the nation, across the world. So if she needed to relocate, I just put in a referral for somebody in Thailand. Uh -huh. And there's a network of domestic violence agencies and people that understand the dynamics of domestic, domestic violence to support her in Thailand. Wonderful. Which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So why historically uh, do you think this need has existed? Oh, I love it. Ah, I can get into the depths of understanding understanding women's issues and women's rights. So I'm going to give you a little background if, if we have time. I grew up in Puerto Rico. I'm the daughter of Dominican immigrants uh, from the Dominican Republic. And I always noticed that there was something amiss in my community. Just the way the limitations were imposed on me since I was a little girl and the violence that I saw young girls, specifically a cousin of mine in the Dominican Republic, that I saw her experience at the hands of her own father, it seemed really unjust, really unjust. And I just couldn't comprehend the complacency and the diminishment we trivialized as, as family we trivialized her suffering we trivialized her journey because one she was disabled mm -hmm. and two she was a girl mm -hmm. okay and that really at eight years old that really awakened something in me and just this 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 curiosity but this frustration mm -hmm. and then i started seeing the patterns and patterns of of behavior as i grown older um i joined the air force right out of high school Mm. And that was a really great experience in many ways, but it's also very traumatizing in the sense that it brought back those themes that I saw in third world countries that I had a vision that I was going to see in the United States. Mm. The United States was supposed to be this such advanced, magical place where everybody can achieve if you work hard enough, if you are smart enough, and I was willing to do everything. And you will achieve equality and you will achieve success. Well, that's not the case. And that's not the case, especially for women. And so those questions really, really um, stayed with me. And as I got out of the military, I went to college. 
I got my undergraduate in anthropology and I could not think of another degree program that would really fulfill my need to answer that perpetual mm-hmm. question. Why? Mm-hmm. I just, people were like, you have this post 9-11 GI Bill, you can study anything you want. And this is the only thing that I can think of. I wanted to study women and gender. And I wanted to ask that question, why? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's really difficult and complex to answer. I can't just open a book and watch a movie or hear stories from people. You really he- have to understand where I needed to know where it's coming from, because as a woman, I am no different than a man when it comes to my intellectual abilities, when it comes to my capacities, when it comes to anything, Mm -hmm. I am no different biologically. Yes, but we have different um, evolutionary purposes, Mm -hmm. but that's it. And to be treated as a second class citizen, even when my efforts were extraordinary, it's very frustrating. <laughs> it is extremely frustrating and disheartening. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out so many things. And one of the things that I found out in my education was I understood the incredible impact that women have around the world. So women, not only are we caregivers, I mean, from an economics perspective, mm-hmm. there is a value proposition for women to be smart, empowered, successful, because we end up raising children around the world. We are the primary agriculturalists around the world. We really can move a nation forward. And a nation's treatment of women is more likely to determine that nation's success than any other indicator, in my opinion. And so I think that there has been I understand the division of labor that occurred when we separated, and this is my answer to how we got, how did we get here? There was a division of labor early on in the evolution of human beings. And we became, there. a decision had to be made. And the easiest decision for our ancestors were that we're not gonna go be hunter-gatherers, but we're gonna stay, somebody needs to stay home with the children and, and, and care for the land while one of us goes out there and hunter and gathers, both of us can't do it because somebody's gonna die. Hmm. And it's too dangerous. So I think the decision was made early on in evolution because it made sense that women were to stay home with the children and we were going to care for the for our agricultural plots, whatever it is that we had going on. Hmm. And I think that maybe, you know, we gave somehow throughout history, we, I think we gave away a lot of our power because it, you know, it is exhausting to to raise children. I think it is really exhausting. You're there with your children. You are now managing a plot of land and your husband is away or your partner. I don't think they had husbands back there, but I can imagine being a woman, you know, early on in evolution, 30,000 years ago and having to manage all of those responsibilities that in a way, maybe we have given away our power and our trust to the other sex. And as as states have been, you know, evolved into government, into all of that, I think that we have delegated a lot of our authority and a lot of our power because it's easier for from an evolutionary perspective. It's so much easier, especially when you only have 40 years to live. I mean, you're growing up the first 10, you're, you're not able to reproduce then the rest of it is making as many babies. When do you have time to advocate for your rights and treatment? And so evolutionary also, I think 
there has been the need for men to probably be emotionally withdrawn in a sense. I don't know if withdrawn is the right word, but I think that emotionally distant and our connect the connection to women maybe has has um, diminished too. And I imagine it had to do with something about being hunter gatherers. If you're not there to bond with women through birth, through um, the, the, the magical things that happen to a woman's body when she is pregnant and when she gives birth, I think that bond evolutionarily was, 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 we were separated from men so much that I think it's sometimes hard to understand the women's experience. Mm-hmm. We're not men. We're, we've evolved very differently. Mm-hmm. And I think up until recently, and I would say, especially in the last maybe 2000 years, I want to say, maybe even a little before. Um, I think that we're seeing a much need for male, because there is no need for that, for you to be away for so long in partnership and going out and gathering, hunting and gathering. And so it's, you know, in the big scheme of things, it hasn't been that long. We were, we were this type of people, human beings for so, so long thousands and thousands of years and only in a very small amount of that history is when that we are evolving in a different way. We're evolving to use our brains, to use our consciousness, to use our hearts and to understand connection. We're not just animals trying to survive. And so now we're, we're fighting for power. And I think we've, we were comfortable for so long. I would say up to the industrial revolution when things started to change and um, dynamics of power, people starting to live longer. Either way, we're here. Mm-hmm. That's just one theory. I'm sure there are millions of theories out mm-hmm. there. That's just how I see the world and how mm-hmm. I see it. And I think that, uh, am I allowed to talk about the patriarchy? <laughs> patriarchy, sure. Yeah, so yeah. I just think that we do, we do live in a system that is extremely toxic to not only women, but also men. Mm-hmm. And that is the patriarchal system. Mm-hmm. And the system is a, is a perpetual cycle. And so we encourage it. We participate in it. Men participate in it, participate in it and nobody wins. Mm-hmm. Nobody wins. Yeah. Nobody wins. So let me take a moment and reintroduce you, Elizabeth uh, Herrera Eichenberger. That's my name. Uh, Executive Director at True North True here North in Columbia. Columbia. And... Uh, Welcome guests uh, on the radio today, KOPN, your community radio station. Uh, This is Glocal News in Social Artistry. We've moved to Mondays, as uh, you must know, now that you're listening to us on a Monday afternoon. And we're happy to adjust uh, the schedule. Uh, That's part of life, is adapting to uh, new needs. So here we are. This show is directed to people that are building a more humane world. And that is actually the entire purpose of True North uh, as a movement here in the United States. And uh, as Elizabeth has been explaining, around the world, women have been networking. And this idea has just been introduced of patriarchy. (laughs) And as you were just describing, nobody wins, which means men are losing out on something the same way that, not the same way, but in their way as women are losing out in their way. Mm -hmm. Um, So before we maybe explore patriarchy and its history, do you see a alternative? What is there a name for 
I mean, we don't need matriarchy necessarily. Oh, not at all. Do we have a new name? I don't for, know that uh, we have a new name. Um, yeah. I think that was what ha- that's probably part of the problem. When we use the F word feminism, all of a sudden it becomes controversial. Mm-hmm. I am not very fan of names, okay. <laughs> but I am fan of processes and, and changing the way that we think. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, the treating everybody and acknowledging human beings as human beings with equal rights. And this is where also race intersects because we're talking about asserting your right and respecting your right to exist, Mm -hmm. which means that I have no authorization from anyone, not weaponizing religion to say I am better with than you because I'm a white male or I'm a male or I am white I'm a human being and I have just as much right to be on this earth as anybody else, whether it's because I'm a woman or I'm a Latina woman. Um, Those things, they're not necessarily, um, they're important, but they're they're not what should be highlighted. I think what we need to highlight is that people need need and deserve to be treated with respect. Okay. Uh, We have a great song, uh, Respect. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. how do you see, you have this academic background in anthropology, how do you see in a family situation the child um, having much choice as to how he or she learns to see the world and see themselves? Oh my goodness. You know, I have two small children. I have a four-year-old and a soon-to-be three-year-old, mm-hmm. and I'm in a hetero, hetero um heterosexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband and I struggle with that every day because we're also very open-minded and we want just the best for our children. How do you balance that? Um, you know, I am here to be a guide to my children. I'm not here to um, insert any type of preconceived notions of who they, they need to be. Mm-hmm. I think that the purpose of childhood is to explore the world around you my job is to guide and provide safety as so is my husband's. Mm -hmm. So if they wanted to, we talk about gender and they're, they're again, four and soon to be three. I talk a lot about that. I talk about, well, people that want to, or see themselves as boys, usually in society, this is how they dress and this is how they, you know, but you're not confined to that. Um, And just trying to have very critical conversations, even as little as they are. because I think that's important. We're not very a very religious family, but we are a very spiritual family. Um, and I, but I'm open to exploring whatever it is that their curiosity and their mind opens up to, and talking more about that. And that's what I think we know. We talk about all these intersections, and this is what I think that we, as a community and as a society, need to take the responsibility of raising children at the highest level. Um, unfortunately, I feel like sometimes some religions, some organizations, some groups will, will, you know, define people's value as how many children do you have and how soon can you have them? And I, I disagree with that. I think that we need to allow ourselves, our inner children to mature and grow until we feel we are ready to be a guide to another human being. So how do we, as a system of rules and government and mm-hmm. taxes and money yeah. and all this, how do we um, express our 
value for um, raising a child? You know what? It starts with electing electing officials that are actually going to be the voice of the people. That's where I think it starts. Who are we electing um, to sit in Congress, to sit in the Senate, to sit in the House of Representatives and make this? Are they making decisions on behalf of the citizens and in the best interest of the citizens? And I'm going to say no. We are not. And um, it's become this, this show, this circus, this show of interests on both sides. And it's disheartening because this is where, we, where it begins. It begins funding organizations, funding institutions that promote the well-being of children, mm-hmm. um, that promote you know, paying people a living wage. It's all interconnected, uh, uh, you know, ensuring that people are not being predatorial in the, in the housing that they provide for other people that, you know, in low income housing sometimes or people that don't have a lot of money, they ended up living in places that are full of lead or are toxic and actually affects developmental um, abilities on people. So it's all interconnected. So I would challenge number one, what laws are being passed on behalf of the people? Are our elected officials really representing the people and helping pass those laws? You know, just because you speak nice, does it mean that you have the critical thinking? I mean, should there be a qualification for you to be a politician? I say yes. And it should be diverse. It can't, they can't all be lawyers <laughs> or preachers. We need more diversity in who is sitting to represent and being able to eloqu- eloquently speak on the issues that are affecting our communities. Mm-hmm. So yes, we start with local government, local elected officials, and then growing it from there. That's one way to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems as though it's been very spotty mm-hmm. uh, in our history. Yes. Uh, we have not placed a value on a mother. Not at all. We've not placed a value on uh, having mother and father uh, both available for yeah. a child. For How instance. can you? <laughs> Childcare is so expensive. Mm-hmm. It's expensive for both my husband and I, and we are both working professionals mm-hmm. and we make a good living. Imagine people that are that are in the poverty line mm-hmm. and that don't have the resources or the, the failing middle class. There are people that they have good jobs. They barely can make ends meet. Those single mothers that maybe they were in a relationship and then all of a sudden he just disappeared. And now she's, you know, God bless all single mothers. Um, it is hard. There are barriers left and right, especially for women. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are not as a, as a society and it's going to be our downfall. It's going to be our downfall if we don't address these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, how are we supporting women to work? Why are we stuck to um, eight-hour day work, shit, work week, 40 hours a week? I'd like to understand more about that. Why isn't there more um, available, affordable childcare, mm-hmm. affordable rent and housing? Mm-hmm. Why? I want to know why. And, and I keep asking, but nobody gives me an answer. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it appears as though other countries have been able to find ways to Correct. value that I, yeah. uh, in varying, varying oh, degrees. Oh, absolutely. There, I feel like, and I lived in Europe a little bit, I feel like they're more, they're more interested in exploring what works and what doesn't work because there's a genuine, genuine love for their citizens. In Germany, you're all Germans. 
in America, in America, you are Latin American, you're African American, you are, then you're American American, mm -hmm. the real American. And so, you know, it's a really interesting take. Mm -hmm. um, does, do people in government, do our elected officials really see us all as Americans and all worthy and in need of support and care and opportunities to thrive? Mm -hmm. Do they want, this is what happens when we don't elect a diverse, uh, uh, diverse politicians mm -hmm. too. Do they believe in their hearts that somebody who's different than them deserves to thrive and deserves to be um, to have all of the opportunities that this country has to offer. Mm -hmm. So I don't hear that discussed very much mm -mm. Uh, when election time is coming around. And the, I don't hear the interviewers on uh, the debates ask questions like that. So are we also looking at the media and, oh, yeah. uh, and how I don't know that there is necessarily a conspiracy. I do think that we are, we are as a as a nation. I think, and as a, in the world, you'll probably see this more too. It feels like we're operating out of this very lizard survival brain, and um, and I only know about this because my father-in-law is a therapist, and he talks about people when they operate out of their the lizard part of their brain. It's actually a real thing in psychology and and mental health mm -hmm. when you are just in survival mode. Mm -hmm. You don't have feelings. You're just following whatever is going to help you survive. Mm -hmm. There's no death in your existence. I think that's what's happened to us in the United States, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to what we cover in the media. It's not about a genuine desire to help people. Maybe there may be a little bit of that. I want doing something good and I feel good. It is about securing wealth making sure that you are the network that makes them more money, that you get that interview, that you get the accolades, you go to bed, do it the same thing the next day. So I don't think it's a conscious conspiracy, but definitely mm -hmm. an unconscious way in which we are operating. And this is the consequence of that. Mm -hmm. I'm interviewing, I have Senators Joe Schmo and Jill Jacqueline, and they were talking about the things that um, you're supposed to talk about. You don't de deviate from the script because I don't want to take a risk because I don't want my ratings to go down because mm -hmm. ratings equal money. Mm -hmm. And we're our soul. I mean, I moved into the United States. I am a first generation American. And I have a really interesting story because my mom became a U.S. resident. She crossed the border of Mexico when she was eight months pregnant with me mm -hmm. from the Dominican Republic. And it was a long journey. And she received political asylum from Ronald Reagan. And so I grew up with a very, um, very idealized view of what, Amer what America was and the values that being in America, an American was. And it was just, just so much pride in my family. Wow, you know, she's the American girl, our American child, our American this, oh my goodness. And there's just this vision, it's like of these values, you have strong moral compass and you're gonna, oh, the Americans are coming. They're gonna come in and do the right thing. You can't, you can't hurt us, Mr. Dictator, because the Americans are coming. There is, there was a worldview, I think, for a long time about that's who America was. That's the America that I joined, that I came to join the Air Force for, that I you know, moved to. And I feel like our collective, I don't know if it's probably always been that way and I'm just getting older mm -hmm. and I get to see it differently. But I do think that our values that made us, or made me love America so much 
are kind of disappearing. Mm -hmm. And it's really sad. It mm -hmm. is really sad. It will be our downfall. Mm -hmm. How we value human beings, how we take care are of each other. Mm -hmm. Right? Regardless of race, religion, creed, you're a human being. And this is the land where you can be free from oppression, from persecution of religion. We're literally doing the opposite of what our founding fathers or the people in the Mayflower wanted to. They wanted nobody to tell them what to do. And they just wanted to live their life in peace. And, you know, and here we are doing the opposite. Now, if you are Muslim, there's a target on your back. If you are, if you deviate anything from the norm, you are different. And I think that there is a, an unconscious bias permeating around what your value is based on how different or how near near you are to whatever the mainstream is. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting that when those folks arrived back in 16, whatever, uh, <laughs> yeah, 16, 19 yeah. or so, uh, that there was a, a group of people living in the Northeast called uh, the Iroquois yeah. League. Yeah. And uh, they seem to have a different set of values. Yeah, uh, I believe the women were the ones that elected the chiefs. I love that. And uh, yeah. made the decisions for the community. I love it. <laughs> it's like almost who discovered who, right? Uh huh. And and yet here came a different set of values. Right. Right. And uh, guns. Yeah, of course. And so you come in with your power and you overpower a value system yeah. that might have had a lot more civility and and yeah. beauty to yeah. it in terms of relationships yeah. and caring for the community. Yeah. But and that's not part of their, their collective history. I mean, England had a history of colonization, extensive as it did Spain. Mm -hmm. And it was just, again, human beings are very complex. Um, I can see what you're what you're saying as far as um, there's so much beauty in the Native American culture and um, the experience of the way they live life. But, and yeah, and we we inherited sometimes of that devaluing too mm -hmm. of um, the passiveness, the spiritual, the connection to the earth mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I think at this time, we're beginning to see some, um, since movies and, and media have shifted and are telling a, a little truer story about our history. Oh, yeah. Uh, not always, but yeah. we see pieces of that. And uh, oh, we even see this uh, in the news so much, this uh, critical race theory yeah. uh, being bandied about uh, like a tennis ball. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, yeah, because we, we attach ourselves to labels. This is why rather I would have, I would have preferred it never to be called critical race theory and just moving it forward as a concept and an explanation versus black lives matters is a pri prime example of that too. Feminism we attach a label to it and we, we mean, oh, you mean that only black lives matter? No, that's not what that means. And there's a whole philosophy behind it that I can't capture in just three words mm -hmm. or one word. Right. Or, you know, so, yeah. 
We need a lot of help. <laughs> we do need it. I don't know. We're, I think conversations like these are important. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer that one person can change the world. And so if we have conversations mm -hmm. and if one person listens to this, this show and mm -hmm. feels inspired and feels encouraged that there are people that are thinking critically like that too, and that genuinely care for other people, mm -hmm. um, who knows what can, what ripple effect that can have That's in our true. community. I agree. This whole thing of discussion, um, we don't, we don't seem to have enough discussion. No. We have talking heads that, yeah. that with talk. an agenda. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, I guess maybe that's the substitute for discussion. But it's just me, you and me. We haven't met before. I know. <laughs> you know we're we're talking about some really important yeah. basic ideas and and how we see things. And yeah. I'm a man, and you're a woman, and so yeah. we have our own different history and upbringing. Yeah. I had three brothers, no sisters. You oh, know, wow. What am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so I need a lot of help as a man to, you know, get a better appreciation for what a woman experiences yeah. in that way. Uh, so we're going to take one more quick break because yes. uh, my guest today on Glocal News, and hey, it's Monday. And Glocal News is on from 5 to 6. Uh, we used to be on Wednesdays from 5 to 6. And before that, we were on Wednesday mornings from 10 to 11. So this new uh, home that we have uh, on Monday afternoon from 5 to 6, where we talk to folks. Uh, I, I'm the host at Dick Dalton, and we get to talk to folks who are building a more humane world from the inside out, which to me means... Uh, the, people that have done some inner work in their own uh, critiquing of their particular lines of thought or, you know, so many of us get uh, rooted into uh, our parents' uh, viewpoints or a group of friends or possibly a church and, and we may ne never think to question what it is that we're taught, but uh, most of the guests that I have here on the show have gone through some introspection and uh, uh, have been critical of some of the things they, they had believed at one time. And my guest today is Elizabeth Herrera Eichenberger, who's the executive director over at uh, True North of Columbia, uh, a woman's uh, not just a shelter, but it's a service, yeah. a set of services. And we, we offer services to men and anybody in the gender spectrum. Okay. Um, but I think this disproportionately affects women at a higher rate than it does anybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was hearing an announcement on the news about uh, how some of the women that were abused by the uh, trainer, mm -hmm. physical trainer guy, doctor, yeah. Uh, doctor, yeah, doctor, what's his name? Uh, and that the FBI had been told some things, but hadn't done anything yeah. about it. And so this, um, it, it, it was just another reminder that sometimes a woman's voice doesn't get the value no, uh, heard the way it needs to be heard. And I think if men understood how sexual assault impacts a woman, they wouldn't, they would, they wouldn't even think about, it wouldn't even never cross their mind. If they really collectively understood how it destroys you and changes you, mm -hmm. they would never lay a hand on a woman. Mm -hmm. Can you 
explore that a little more? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about, there's two perspectives perspectives to this. So in the perspective of the, the very um, patriarchal society that we live in and how everybody has, for the most part, very defined roles, especially when you grew up in, in the church, particularly in my experience with the Catholic church, women's sexuality is a very sacred thing, very sacred. Um, and this is true, not just for Christianity. I think many religions around the world that have most of the population. And so whether it's right or wrong, um, how women view their bodies and how they, um, how so much value is assigned to their sexuality, to their, their virginity, um, it is very, very, um, it's a very strong, very strong feelings around it. And so when somebody comes and either takes it away for the first time, the average woman will get raped when she's 13, hmm. usually by a family member or somebody she knows, hmm. okay? Um, or takes it even though it, without the, your permission, it creates a trauma. It creates a trauma. I mean, not, of, from a psychological perspective, it creates a trauma because, oh my God, now I'm dirty. Now I'm not good enough. Who's going to want to marry me? Who's going to want to be with me? There is a lot of shame. And one of the responses to sexual assault and sexual victimization is hypersexuality. So, mm-hmm. it, so I always, when I see somebody just kind of just overly expressing themselves in an unhealthy way sexually i always wonder what happened to her oh yeah what happened Mm -hmm. to her because it's usually a trauma response and then we have on the physical aspect you can't control anything and that that is true for women we really cannot have a voice to save our lives a powerful voice that's going to move things forward we can't even get paid the same amount of men women Mm -hmm. still get paid 70 cents to the dollar which is amazing right Mm -hmm. But now the only thing that as human beings, I know for me that I can control is my body. If I want to go that way, I walk that way. If I don't want to do something, I don't do it. Mm-hmm. I don't even have to think of something I don't want to think. So when somebody comes in and invades your body, that's trauma. And that is extremely traumatic. And I always am curious to see how as a society, do we, do we view rape the same as we view sodomy? In my experience, when we look at a man and say, oh my God, he was sodomized in the military, it's gasping. Oh my God, it's like, oh, wow, that person is going to be destroyed for the rest of his life. And we could really re- evidently see the impact and the reactions of people. But it's not always the same when we talk about somebody being, a woman being sexually assaulted. Why is that? Why is that? A little girl being raped or molested. Even seeing a penis, I mean, it's a really difficult thing for little, it's shocking. I remember for me, it's just, it was very shocking. I grew up extremely Catholic Mm -hmm. and um, those things. And we have different lived experiences as men and women. We really do, whether it's right or wrong, we really, really do. Mm -hmm. And it's time we acknowledge it. Where does um, sex education fit into that story? Oh my God, we're so stupid when it comes to <laughs> religion. Who, to, who should be responsible? I know that. I know. I mean, uh, hopefully the parents, but the parents are broken too. Nobody knows their left from their right. I mean, 
Yeah, we we as a society, the purpose of government is to create a better work, better living environment for its citizens. And so in with that premise in mind, you would think that we would have logical sex education in schools beginning in kindergarten. And we're not going to talk about complex sexual issues with a six-year-old, but we can definitely talk about their bodies. And we talk about our bodies with our sons a lot. So we talk about this is my penis and mommy does not have a penis. Mommy has a vagina. Your penis is yours. If somebody comes to touch it, you say no. Okay. And you tell a teacher or you tell mommy and daddy. Okay. Um, So it has to be gradual, kind of in the same way that we would do critical race theory. So for all of those out there who are thinking that we're going to talk about complex race issues in the first grade, that's not how it works, Mm -hmm. but we would start gradually. And um, I think that maybe we can lay the foundations for a more empowered society, a more respectful society, where we are um, not victimizing each other so much. How would a woman listening to this program know to contact True North? Oh, my gosh. Well, if, 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 if it moves you in your heart, just call us. We have a 24-hour hotline. Which is one eight hundred five four eight two four eight zero. We have a website that you can visit and learn more information. You, we have a Facebook page and an Instagram. True North of Columbia, truenorthofcolumbia.org. And why I say, if it moves you in your heart, if you have a question about anything, call us. Hey, you know, I was drinking and all of a sudden I woke up without any clothes. Was that rape? Let's process that. It probably was. Mm-hmm. You know, because only yes means yes, and you were inebriated. So that's one example, but give some other examples of, as to yeah. why a woman might want to check in with you. So we, we serve victims of domestic and sexual violence, and that is a very big, big umbrella, and it right. captures a lot of things. Um, domestic violence, of course, if um, you feel disrespected in your relationship, Call us. Let's process. Let's talk about it because that's really what we're doing. We're processing with you. Let's talk about what domestic violence is and the way that shows up in a relationship. Because it's not always physical. We had a speaker come in two years ago to our little black dress gala, and she spoke of her deceased sister, who her husband never laid a finger on her in the entire relationship. And the minute she broke up with him, he killed her and dumped her body in another state. So it doesn't abuse is not always physical. And just because it's not physical, it doesn't mean it's not dangerous. I need our women, the women listening, I need you to hear this very, very carefully. Missouri ranks number two in the states where men murder women at a higher rate. We are only second to Alaska. Okay. So the most dangerous time for a woman is when she's about to leave the relationship. What This is why services like True North are very, very important. If you are thinking about leaving that relationship, even if he's never laid a, a hand on you, call us. Let's safety plan so that you can do it safely mm-hmm. because people snap, mm-hmm. you know, and if he was exhibiting power and control issues um, in the relationship, you're at risk. You are at risk. Or if you just feel as though the relationship isn't working, you don't know the reaction of your partner. You don't. 
you don't, but you, I, hopefully you, you, you don't know how, you never know how people are going to react, but there are some indicators and some red flags that we can talk about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been in relationships, not necessarily marriage, but relationship that ended amic, actually every relationship that I can think of ended amicably. Hey, you know, it's not working. You know, I never felt in danger or threatened or okay. that I was going to, and they were fine. And we remained friends afterwards. And some relationships are like that. Um, and you would know that, but then there are some others that have red flags. Controlling behavior is a huge red flag, wanting to control you. And the reason why controlling behavior is such a red flag, because it, um, it, it indicates that it could potentially indicate that this person, uh, their go-to methodology for personal safety is power and control. Mm. And that is what domestic and sexual violence is all about. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be very, very careful when somebody's trying to control where you're going. Not just one thing. We want to see a pattern of behavior. Um, Where are you going? What you doing? Who are you doing with? Really insecure. Um, Tap, you know, checking in on your phone. We have to have dual bank accounts. We have to have dual. Well, sometimes dual bank accounts are necessary for marriages and families, but dual email. I need to read all your text messages. That's psychotic. Mm -hmm. And it's unhealthy. Now, what that gives me is an indication that this person has resorted to um, power and control for his or her own sense of personal safety. And that's dangerous because you can't, it's very difficult to control another human being that has their own mind. And Mm -hmm. you cannot always, they're not, we're not robots. Mm -hmm. Okay. So those are some helpful examples, uh, I'm, I'm sure. We started talking on the show about homelessness and how, how do women play into yeah. homelessness or being unsheltered? Yeah. Where, where are they? Where, how They're do they everywhere. stay? They're everywhere. And so of all of the homeless women, 30%, it is estimated that about 25 to 30% are homeless because of domestic violence. Oh, okay. Okay. Does that make sense? And so, so they, they didn't call you. No, they're or, homeless. Or they didn't call right. me and then they're right. out in the streets. Right. Okay. Um, and they, they face a multitude of barriers because it is a difficult thing to be homeless. It is even a more difficult thing to be homeless and a woman. Mm-hmm. For the same reasons that I mentioned earlier, the society is stacked against us as mm-hmm. women. Mm-hmm. Um, we are judged harsher and we have unique needs. How does a woman on her period... How do you navigate that when you're homeless? Mm-hmm. How do you navigate sexual assault and your safety? Mm-hmm. You're very vulnerable mm-hmm. when you're homeless. Mm-hmm. And you have to deal now with, you know, mental health, your own mental health, the mental health of others, and your vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really complex and sad. And, and the approach needs to be complex too. Mm-hmm. It's never a one size fits all when you're addressing homelessness. You have to address the people that are fleeing because they have domestic violence in their history and they're trying to just get away and find safety and they're living off in their car. Then True North would be a great resource for them. Oftentimes also you have people that um, have substance abuse issues and mental health issues and they're homeless and they're also been victimized by domestic violence. Which one do you address first? Right. And then there are people that no matter how many resources you put out there are going to be chronically homeless. Um, this is especially true to, true for many of our veterans. Um, and how do you address that? 
we need to have a better implementation. We know the strategy. What we need is designated case managers and designated people that can, can it, permanent care facility for people that can't care for themselves. They literally, you will get them an apartment. You will, I've known people that are homeless that have a monthly disability check that can perfectly afford to get their own apartment, but they are, they're never going to be housed because they're not in that framework. They don't understand how to even pay their own bills and they're easily taken advantage of. And so there's different categories of homelessness and each one deserves a strategy, uh, a very well thought out process and an implementation. Is there a, a time limit as to how long women can stay at True North shelter? Yes and no. The criteria is not depending upon, okay, your 30 days are up because we try to get to know the stories of the women in the shelter. And so if she's had six evictions and nobody would rent to her, you're not going anywhere. I mean, we are gonna, you're gonna be here. My only stipulation is after uh, she decides to stay that she's working on her goals mm -hmm. and that she's working on getting stable housing, but I'm not going to be one more barrier in her journey. Um, and sometimes we have women say the average length of stay is 30 days is usually about the time mm -hmm. we have a designated person that works so solely on getting them housing, oh. whether it's public housing, whether it's mm -hmm. an apartment, a house. I mean, they're, that's all they do. Um, and we also, you know, we have case managers that work on other resources in the shelter. We have classes on how to write a resume every month. Uh, shout out to Chris Horn from Columbia Public Schools uh, board. He mm -hmm. comes in and he volunteers his time um, to, and we have many community partners that do that, writing resume, how to interview, how to get a job, mm -hmm. um, teaching life skills. We do workshops at the shelter. Do most of the people that you interact with have health insurance? No, Th depends. In the shelter, no. Non-residential, usually they do but mostly no, but we have a partnership with MedSue and they come in every month mm -hmm. and they provide health screening for the women. And then we have a wonderful health department here mm -hmm. that especially the women can go and get their, their women's health um, addressed. Yeah, okay, that's great. Yeah. Uh, they have, uh, they all have IDs and they have- their, Not everybody has IDs and I'm not gonna, I'm not here to, I'm not immigration services. I'm not going to- No, it's just that, an idea is helpful to them. Yeah, it is helpful. And we, if they don't have one, we can help them yeah. achieve that, uh, find one. Right, right. right. And uh, social security, birth certificate. Transportation. Transportation. How do they get around? Do they, Some they of them have, have vehicles. Well, they have the bus system. Again, the intersection. So you're going to touch in another, on another very important thing. Another huge barrier that we have, especially in Colombia, is transportation. Exactly. I don't understand the bus system, the bus route. Why are the bus, um, the bus stations or where people stop to get there to load into the bus? Why is it uncovered? You don't. You can't even find it. It's so difficult to find. Mm -hmm. It's not well lit. It's unsafe. It's a barrier. Mm -hmm. um, and the, they don't run 24 seven. They don't run 24 seven. Right. I lived in New York city, so I'm very familiar with a well running uh, bus service. <laughs> Does Columbia provide bus passes for yes. people that yeah. don't have funds? Well, through us, we get them. Um, they're limited, you know, and then we provide it for our residents as best as we can. Mm -hmm. um, we want to eliminate barriers. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Wonderful. So, um, 
would you mention some of the other folks that True North is partnering with? Oh my like, goodness! Uh, oh my gosh! Yeah. You've talked about the Columbia. Uh, what's that uh, homeless outreach team? Oh yeah. So we, I mean, we cannot do this work alone. And so True North is extremely successful at what it does because we're really good at partnering. Mm -hmm. And so we partner with the city of Columbia, the Columbia homelessness outreach team. We're part of that. The functional zero task force to eliminate homelessness in uh, Columbia. We partner amazingly with the Boone, Boone uh, County Sheriff's office. Um, we partner with um, the Columbia Police Department, Burl Behavioral Health. I mean, we could not do the work without addressing mental health issues. So Burl is extremely important in the work that we do, as is McCambridge Center, mm -hmm. uh, Phoenix Programs. Mm -hmm. um, the, I mean, Love Inc. They provide furniture for our residents. Yeah. I love the, the the people there are just so kind and always so helpful to our clients. Voluntary Action Center. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, Ed is doing a phenomenal job there. And we tap into that resource a lot. Mm -hmm. um, we do New Horizons, the Department of Mental Health, mm -hmm. Columbia Housing Authority, mm -hmm. um, all of the homeless shelters here in town because sometimes people are not a fit for true nurse services mm -hmm. so we'll send them to salvation army mm -hmm. to the salvation army to um there's another program for pregnant women and it's escaping saint raymond society oh, mm -hmm. um so we i mean we are successful because of the partnerships that right. we have and so mm -hmm. we're our interest is to helping someone mm -hmm. find their voice and find their way and we don't have all of the resources but mm -hmm. we have an amazing community that does and everybody's passionate about what they're passionate about which is great and elizabeth could you give the phone number one more time yeah 1-800-548-2480 please visit our website um, www.truenorthofcolumbia.org or find us on facebook and instagram true north of columbia oh great great well it's i've, I've learned a lot today it's thank good. you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot we haven't talked about That's but right. uh, hey yeah. uh, some of those are never-ending stories. Yes, right. Well, thanks, Elizabeth. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in today to Glocal News in Social Artistry. Uh, we'll be back next Monday at our new time from 5 to 6. And remember, uh, wherever you are, that is your world. Uh, please leave your world cleaner, and more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. So take care and talk to you soon.